0: Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blumson. Imran Khan was praised for acting quickly to avert conflict with India last month after a flare-up in tensions that followed a terror attack in Kashmir. But Pakistan's Prime Minister says he is worried his Indian counterpart, Narendra Modi, may be stoking animosities to boost his electoral prospects. Stephanie Finlay, our South Asia correspondent, spoke to Mr Khan and Jochna Singh discusses the interview with Stephanie and with Amy Kazmin, our South Asia bureau chief.
1: We've made overtures to India to try and have a civilized relationship and uh, resolving all our issues through dialogue. But the response I got early on, I realized that because of the Indian elections, We should not expect anything positive but we were apprehensive that some incident would happen and when pulwama happened i felt that mr modi's government used that to build this war hysteria it could have gone anywhere because once the jets bombed us and we bombed them so fortunately it stopped there but i'm still apprehensive before the elections i feel that something could happen
2: Has anger in India over the Pulwama terror attack in February eased off? Or is Mr. Khan right to worry about another flare-up during the Indian election period?
3: The Indian missile strike at Balakot was obviously a very significant event because it ended this long tradition of India's strategic restraint in the face of Pakistani provocation and terror attacks believed to emanate from Pakistan. In the past, no matter what had happened, including the horrific Mumbai terror attacks in which 166 people were killed in posh five-star hotels and a 2001 attack on the Indian parliament in none of these cases did India turn to military retaliation. The situation is different now because Prime Minister Narendra Modi has really tried to adopt a much more muscular stance towards Pakistan. But the thing is is that part of the reason that India was able to conduct this missile strike without triggering international outrage was because of the previous nearly two decades of serious strategic restraint. So as some commentators said, India was kind of spending the political capital that had been accumulated by previous leaders. Now, I do not think, given the current situation where, I mean, the immediate crisis is over, there was an initial attack. Modi said, we're not going to take this anymore and we're going to teach you a lesson. There was a flare-up of hostilities and the shooting down of the plane. But after the handing back of the captured Indian fighter pilot back to India and an immediate de-escalation, it looks to me and to most strategic analysts that the phase of hostilities is over. And I don't think India could just all of a sudden, out of a blue, suddenly strike at Pakistan again. The international community would react very strongly to that. India actually had support from the international community for doing it. There had been signaling from the United States that they would accept something like this, but that is only because they felt India had behaved so responsibly and with such restraint in the face of past provocations. So I don't think like suddenly out of the blue, we're going to wake up and find that, you know, Modi for some domestic political reasons without any provocation has launched a new attack on Pakistan. However, I do feel and many fear that if there is some kind of next terror attack in India between now and the end of the election, or even after the election, that India has kind of set a new threshold and it will be really compelled and determined to kind of react once again with military force, which could then lead to a whole nother cycle of escalation and violence.
1: Since my government came into power in uh, August 2018, we immediately resolved that, you know, we cannot take this chance anymore where you have these armed groups in our country, a legacy of the Afghan jihad in the 80s. You know, we cannot afford being blamed for any terrorist activity, like Palwama, like what happened. So we were already cracking down on them. We were already dismantling the whole setup. In a state, the monopoly of force, arms has to be the state. You can't have groups operating here because whatever the reasons of creating the groups, and we know the militant groups were created to fight the Afghan jihad, it makes no sense right now. So it's for our own self-interest that we need to get rid of the groups.
2: Stephanie, Mr. Khan was insistent that he has done more than any other recent Pakistani leader to disband militant groups in Pakistan. Is this
4: convincing? He has made an effort. He has closed a lot of the madrasas, the schools. He has shut down around 200 of those. He has also arrested scores of people linked to terrorist groups, And we have seen this before from Pakistan. So the question is whether or not he'll be able to keep up the momentum. That is what everybody is watching and wondering about because in the past we've seen similar crackdowns only to uh, scale back once the international pressure is off. Something that is encouraging though is that Pakistan is working to meet the conditions set by the Financial Action Task Force which works to control and stop financing to terrorists and this is something that is new for Pakistan and it's designed to target financial flows to terrorist groups and uh, they were put on the gray list and uh, in order to get off the gray list they have to meet certain conditions and they have made changes however in a recent review FATF said look you're not doing enough you know, the legislation may be there, but the action on the ground, or in essence, the enforcement of these new policies, is not being done enough. So, Pakistan wants to get off the grey list. They really want to bring investment in. Their economy is in dire straits. So, hopefully, this provides enough pressure to see some reform in an area that has been a big issue.
1: The link, they say, is Jashim Mohammed. But there's Jashim Mohammed in India. The boy who blew himself up, the 19-year-old boy, was a Kashmiri Indian boy, and he, his parents said, how he was radicalized by uh, some abuse by the security force. So it was a, it was an Indian boy, Indian operation, Indian car, Indian explosive. Why was Pakistan blamed?
2: Mr. Khan says he doesn't have enough evidence to arrest Masood Azhar, head of the Pakistan-based Jashi Muhammad. Does he have a point when he says the Pulwama attack
4: was planned and carried out in India itself? The Pulwama attack happened in Indian-administered Kashmir. The attacker is believed to be a local man, but the responsibility for the attack was claimed by Jaish-e-Mohammed, which is a group operating in Pakistan. India handed over a dossier on Jaish-e-Mohammed leader Masood Azhar, Prime Minister Khan told me in our interview that he had the dossier, but still there was not enough evidence to bring the leader to court. And in the absence of that, he was doing all he could to crack down on terrorism in Pakistan. And he redirected blame to India and the security situation in Kashmir.
1: It's very easy to get votes by spreading hatred. That's what the BJP is doing. It's a basically anti-Pakistan party, it's anti-Muslim, anti-Pakistan. And I think basically people in India also realize that this is what is happening to the minorities, to the Muslims, to the Kashmiris, to win elections, you spread hatred against other human beings. I mean, this is attacking the basic secular concept of India.
2: Amy. Imran Khan was quite scathing about the Modi government's incitement to religious hatred against minorities. Has Mr Modi done anything to answer these allegations?
3: Actually, Prime Minister Narendra Modi is very clever in the way that he works. And in fact, you will very rarely find him saying outrageous or provocative anti-Muslim comments. He's very aware of his international image and he's very Careful about what he says and making sure that nothing comes out of his mouth that you couldn't point to and say, look, this is an absolutely anti Muslim statement. But there are kind of more subtle things that he says that are like coded messages that are clearly targeting the Muslim community. For example, when he talks about the need to protect cows from those who would kill them. I mean, this is clearly, and everyone understands sounds in India that this is clearly a reference to the muslim community which doesn't share the same dietary taboos against eating beef that upper caste Hindus have. I mean, Dalits also may eat beef. But so the comments that he makes are careful and he's not like actively out there on the stump kind of whipping up hatred personally. The problem more is what members of his political party and members of his ground forces say. They often say much more explicit and inflammatory things. And Modi's response to this is generally silence. He never rebuffs them. So, for example, a chief minister of Haryana, who was a BJP politician some years ago, made strong statements about Muslim had to live like the way Hindus lived and accept their values and priorities, or they could leave the country. So there's other comments that are made by people in the BJP that are often quite inflammatory. When there have been incidents of communal violence Modi often doesn't say anything. He's not been very forward about denouncing these things or saying that, you know, we don't stand for hatred. So he lets other people do the talking and say the incendiary and inflammatory things that instigates hatred. And he just kind of keeps quiet. And then when the pressure really mounts after maybe a series of incidents or something so outrageous that someone says, he will finally come out and make a very tepid statement but one that isn't very convincing and doesn't really leave you thinking that he disagreed that much with the very inflammatory thing that someone else had said but essentially he kind of outsources his really hateful comments and has others do that work for him so that he can like maintain his stature of course those in his party say oh you know he can't respond to every comment that someone in his party makes hardliners or marginal figures in the party but the fact of the matter is. He also chose somebody like Yogi Adityanov, who had a strong track record of really instigating communal tensions between Hindus and Muslims, and he chose him for the prime position of chief minister of Uttar Pradesh. So that's kind of how Modi tends to play it. He, he outsources the tough stuff, but his actions and his silences speak.
1: Previously, India would not talk to Pakistan about any other matter except terrorism. And Pakistan would say that, look, let's talk about Kashmir too because kashmir is the main reason why there is this problem between india and pakistan and because people in kashmir and especially in the last 4 years with the sort of oppressive measures adopted by the narendra modi government at kashmir the pellet guns blinding of children uh, young people about 500 people have been killed in the last one year what we feel is that the answer is just like in afghanistan it's not more oppression by the military it needs political dialogue and a solution. And there is a solution. But India would say that, look, only let's talk about terrorism. And Pakistan would say, no, we want a proper dialogue. Now I'm saying, let's just talk about terrorism. Let's first talk about terrorism, whether it is terrorism coming from Afghanistan into Balochistan or what India thinks is terrorism going from across the border. So let's talk about it.
2: So Mr. Khan seemed keen to open the way to a new dialogue with India in his interview. Do you think once the elections are over, the two sides might get together and try and normalize relations? Do you think that's possible?
3: I think we'll have to recognize and give credit to Prime Minister Modi, who, when he first came to power, did actually reach out to his Pakistani counterpart, who was then Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif. He invited Nawaz Sharif to his inauguration, his installation, his swearing-in. The two men had a meeting, by all accounts, they got on very well. Then there was a very dramatic event on Christmas of December 2015, where... Modi unexpectedly landed in Lahore and went to Nawaz Sharif's house to attend a family wedding and wish somebody happy birthday. So there was this kind of effort by Modi and he really stuck his own political capital on it to reach out to Pakistan and extend a hand of friendship. The problem is, is that just a week after his very dramatic visit to Nawaz Sharif in Lahore, there was a terror attack at Patankot in which militants killed several people at an Indian military base. And there was a clear feeling that this had come from Pakistan. So I think that Modi may now be more wary about trying to deal with Pakistan because he feels that the civilian government may be interested in improving relations. And Nawaz Sharif, I think, you know, over a long period of time, even with the previous Indian Prime Minister, Atal Bihari Vajpayee, had shown an inclination to normalize relations. He was a business-oriented character who saw the possibilities of healthy and normal relations between India and Pakistan and what that could mean for the Pakistani economy. But there's always a feeling that in Pakistan, the civilian governments don't really have the say in this matter and that this is a matter that's being determined or controlled by the military, which may be rather less interested in normal relations with India because they have so much at stake in perpetuating this hostile conflict situation where their position and importance is assured. So all that said, I do think that there is this possibility that, you know, after the elections, a new Indian government could be interested in once again, trying to extend the hand of dialogue. But I think within India, there's a great deal of suspicion about Imran Khan may be serious, but what about the real force that stands behind him? And are they serious? And are they really interested in peace? And I think that unless India's government sees real signs that Pakistanis are cracking down on the groups that are responsible and have long been responsible for attacks in india i think they're going to remain wary and i think that is just how things are
0: that was jotsna singh talking to stephanie finlay and amy Kasmin. thanks for listening remember if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more ft content you can find our latest subscription offers at ft.com offer
5: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Confidence starts with loving who you are.